House of Cards, Season 3, Episode 4 is over. Chapter 30 is in the books, but we're just getting started here on the House of Cards post-show recap. And now here are the two guys who have not had their podcast credentials revoked by the Underwood administration. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Zach Brooks. Zach, how are you? Oh, man. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. That was crazy. Uh do I have your ear now, Zach? I was going to say, you have my ear, but then I thought maybe that would be offensive by saying, <laughs> you have my ear. But yes, you have my oh ear. Oh my God. Frank Underwood has not only spit on the image of Jesus Christ, <laughs> but uh, has completely shattered the uh, Jesus on the cross. And oh, man. I would have to imagine that is not a good omen for the Underwood administration. Now, that's probably a worse omen than the black egg, I would think. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, We have a lot to talk about here today in this episode. Of course, Chapter 30 of House of Cards uh, is uh, now behind us. We're going to talk about everything here. We're going to answer your emails. Of course, uh, we're doing one episode a day here right now. We're trying to keep up with that pace here on Post Show Recaps. You can subscribe to our recaps of House of Cards Season 3 at postshowrecaps.com slash H-O-C iTunes and of course uh, leave your comments for us on postshowrecaps.com Zach what'd you think of this episode I actually really liked it I thought the last scene was I mean it was kind of kind of like overhanded with the the religious symbolism I guess but I thought I don't know I really liked the look of it I thought it looked really cool yeah I thought that this was definitely had some fun moments to it but I did feel like uh, a little bit uh, this one was sort of like dragging uh, in the middle. I felt like that this sort of didn't have uh, as much tension throughout, um, at least uh, outside of the moments where Dunbar and Frank were meeting. I felt like uh, in between that and ultimately before you know everything happens at the end of the episode uh, in the church, I felt like uh, it got a little slow. I, I like that we had you know Frank dealing with some internal politics and internal po- uh, internal games. And then he had the most external of uh, politics that he had to deal with at the end. Yeah. You know, I was just very surprised. And again, we'll talk about, you know, how much of this was just for pure shock value and how much of this is really going to uh, be a factor here. But I almost feel like I'm surprised to see Frank Underwood turning to God, turning to the church, going to the bishop. I mean, to me, I mean, Frank Underwood, uh, you know, other than for appearances, you know, just like when he went to his dad's grave in the first episode of the season, I could see him like going to church on Sunday and like just sitting there just for appearances. But for him to actually seek out the counsel of the bishop and then talk about, you know, what, how do we know God's law? What does it mean? How do we interpret, you know, man's law versus God's law? Like, I just felt like that seemed out of character for me. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure why exactly he did that. I mean, we did see him meet with Remy in the church at the end of last season when he was coming up with his plan to turn Remy back to his side. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not the first time we've seen Frank in a church. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know exactly why he, he needed to call the bishop. I mean, was he really having like internal strife with himself? Um, did he just feel like he had nobody else he could talk to because Claire didn't seem to want to talk to him? Well, I wonder if we're going to see a change in Frank Underwood. We had a couple of moments here of where Frank Underwood was in touch with his feelings and with his sensitive side. Of course, uh, we saw the moment where he speaks with the chief justice. Uh, what, what is his name? His first name is Robert, right? Yeah, Robert Jacobs. Jacobs. 
Uh, and he speaks with Jacobs and basically he has the opportunity that he could expose Jacobs and he's like, you know, breaking the fourth wall. And he says, should I ruin this man? And uh, he says, no, no, I should not. Uh, I will not. And then ultimately decides not to do that. But meanwhile, Jacobs was going back to Dunbar um, and he shows mercy there. Um, basically, he, we see him reading the Quran um, and then quoting the Quran uh, when he is meeting with, I want to make sure I have the, the guy's name right. Monmood. Monmood. Mahmood. Uh, <laughs> and so he is trying to like be sensitive there. And then he even talks about that, like that maybe that changed him, that he, that meeting with Mahmood when he's like having like going through those phantom pains of like really in agony. Um, I wonder if that sort of like made Frank have some compassion that has really like, you know, caused him to hold back. And I wonder if that's sort of like the half measure thing of the fact that, you know, when Frank Underwood is on his game, then he just destroys Jacobs right on the spot. and doesn't let Dunbar run against him. Yeah. I, I mean, I think so. And I think it, it definitely is half measure there. Uh, I don't know what he could have done differently with the Monmood situation. I mean, that that when he got the phantom pain, that was really hard to watch. Yeah, it was very tough to watch. And so now here's Frank Underwood again. You know, he looks at Jesus and he says, uh, love, is that what you're selling? Uh, and then, of course, then he uh, hocks a loogie on Jesus. And then, you know, then Jesus and then he tries to wipe it off and Jesus just comes down. I was surprised that uh, where, where was the bishop? You would think that the bishop would have come running in. He only left the room like a minute ago. Yeah, I wondered if the bishop had left. Um, maybe he had to get back on his motorcycle and go back home. I don't know. I'm not sure. But I thought when he walked over to Jesus, I was like, oh, no, he's going to do something. I thought he was going to pee on something like he did in the first episode. So I guess spitting is a little bit not as bad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, they're both pretty bad. I don't, I don't know which is worse. Yeah. Frank Underwood is a terrible house guest. He's peeing on stuff. He's spitting on stuff. He's just... Um, you know, God knows what, what he's doing in the guest bedroom with Meacham. You know, <laughs> he's just not the kind of guy. You can't take your eyes off him for a second. Oh, man. But I mean, I guess if he peed on something in the church, like that would probably smell as opposed to doing it outside. <laughs> I guess so. At least he thought that through. A pretty obvious tell. Um, and so the statue of Jesus comes crumbling down, breaks into a million pieces. Um, you got to think this is a negative omen for Frank. But what do you think specifically this means? I mean, you know, I don't know. I guess it's just like showing that Frank, I mean, Frank spit on Jesus. Yeah. And then if he would have just left it, nothing would have happened. But he goes to wipe it off. He had compassion again and wiped it off. And that was when he got caught. Or was that him trying to cover his tracks? And that Mm. was when that was when this happened. It does seem like he's trying to antagonize God, um, which I feel like is never the right call. And I'm not a religious guy, you know, I'm not, you know, I I am a a Catholic, but probably, you know, pretty non-practicing. But even I am never antagonizing God. Yeah, I think that's probably a good move. Well, I mean, Frank has a God complex. He thinks he's, you know, above everybody, more powerful than everybody. Uh, He does seem to identify more with what he said is the Old Testament God who rules with fear and is all powerful than with Jesus. Yeah, it's funny because this comes all on the heels of this stuff from the bishop, and they talk about uh, with Bishop, I believe, Edis, was that his name? Yeah, I think so. And they talk about justice and how do you reconcile God's law and man's law, and he says basically there's two laws to remember. 
You got to love God and love each other. Those are the two things. You even love the people that you're killing. You love the people that are trying to kill you. And you have to have compassion for everybody. And um, he wasn't, why didn't Jesus fight? Why, you know, so I guess in some ways he is comparing himself and the struggle that he's going through of all these people coming after him to the struggles that Jesus went through, um, which, you know, certainly you can say the God complex of Frank Underwood. Yeah. And, and we also in, in this episode, we heard the story of Abraham and um, sacrificing his son and going through to sacrifice his son and then, and then ultimately not doing it. So uh, there's a lot of ties to, uh, being sacrificed and um, and just a lot of ties to some of these religious stories. Yeah, because we had the whole storyline of the three Navy SEALs and and uh, the sermon that was given about uh, sacrificing your kids. Now, again, Frank Underwood doesn't have kids yet. Going back to the egg thing, will Frank Underwood have a kid eventually? Yeah, and sacrifice. In fairness, that was probably like two, three months ago at this point. So uh, you would think that Claire Underwood would know something was up. Yeah, that's true. I guess if she got pregnant at that point, she might already be. Yeah, I'm going to call moratorium on the Claire Underwood is pregnant theory. Oh, man. So we have egg on our face now? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, Not as much as you do for that bet you made that we were going to see Rachel in episode 30. I got really excited at one point in this episode. I thought it was going to be Rachel. Yeah, I was like, oh, man, there she is. I was like, oh, no, it's Lisa. Yeah. The girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so close. All right. So we will be on the lookout for more of what's going on with the Frank Underwood uh, trying to (laughs) trying to piss off God. Yeah. I I also thought it was interesting that the bishop he said that he tells the same sermon at every, uh, every military funeral because yeah. he doesn't, you know, he says it's not worth writing them every time because it just keeps happening. Uh, that seems pretty disingenuous to me for a, a very important time for the family of these veterans. Yeah. But I feel like it's sort of like, you know, play the hits, you know, that's, that's what works in that spot. Like you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I wondered if that was intentional to show that like, you know, we saw, a lot, especially in this episode, a lot of black and white. Uh, I noticed that there was lots of characters wearing all black or all white. And um, we saw the bishop in all black in that scene. And uh, I mean, he, he showed that he's got pretty, pretty gray side to him, I feel like. All right. Well, that's all of the, you know, big picture stuff as far as the subtext of the God storyline. But in the actual plot of the episode, there was quite a bit having to do with Dunbar, Heather Dunbar is your new potential Democratic candidate for the president of the United States. I did not see that coming. No, that would seem like that was kind of out of nowhere. I mean, I guess Frank was blindsided, too, about this. But, you know, we saw early on in the episode, we saw her with the Supreme Court. And it really all makes sense when you kind of like read between the lines of what she was saying was that it's the president himself has questionable ethics. But the presidency is, you know, beyond reproach. But the president can be scrutinized, but the presidency cannot. Right. Yeah, she she uh, believes. And I'm not, do you know exactly what the Solicitor General does? No, I don't. I mean, one of the people that was on the news was saying that it's the second time the Solicitor General ran for President of the United States. I mean, I couldn't even tell you who our current Solicitor General is. But I, you know, Solicitor General sounds like a terrible title because people hate solicitors. <laughs> That's true. Going knocking on your door. Everywhere. No solicitors. 
But maybe yeah. the solicitor general, you'd be like, okay, well, you, you seem like a pretty good solicitor. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so apparently there was a guy who uh, went from acting solicitor general to acting on House of Cards. Uh, <laughs> that was... That Why was, did he play the solicitor general then? He would have been really good at it, method acting. Yeah, I'm not. Ex- I'm not exactly sure. Um, so from <laughs> November 2004, our solicitor general, the real life uh, one, said uh, Israel has no claim to Jerusalem, just as Russia has no claim to Crimea. So oh. our solicitor general is making headlines and uh, House of Cards style headlines with Israel and Russia. Yeah. And actually, our our solicitor general, according to this, uh, Donald Donald uh, Verilli, uh, could be rumored to be replacing uh, Eric Holder as the attorney general. So maybe you go from solicitor general to attorney general. That's probably better. Yeah, I feel like that's a, that's an upgrade. Okay. Well, let's get so out is, of talking. So is about the, the solicitor general like the like the legal counsel for the president? Is that kind of how that works? Mm, I'm not sure. We have to look that up on Wikipedia. Yeah, we need Johnny <laughs> Silvera to let us know what, what the Solicitor General does. Johnny, tell us about the Solicitor General. Um, okay, but here's Dunbar, and she's gonna she wants to get in there, and uh, we talked about Birch, what's up his butt, and he, ultimately, he's been very unhappy with the Underwood administration, and he found his new candidate, the new p- the person to pin the hopes of the Democratic Party on. It's uh, Heather Dunbar. Heather Dunbar in all white announcing her candidacy. Yes, uh, that's interesting. You really did a good job picking up on all that uh, black and white stuff. I mean, I've noticed that the last couple episodes, especially like the scene with the with uh, the Russian president and Frank in the basement, it, that was very black and white. I, I've just seen it a lot, and I'm not quite sure exactly what they're trying to say with it. But shades of uh, Lost and Breaking Bad going on here on House of Cards. And Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, the Jesus that fell down was also very light colored. Yeah, I really liked how they shot that. They shot it from above, like looking down on Frank. I thought that was cool. Yeah. So here's Dunbar. She is now running for office. Uh, Frank tried a Hail Mary uh, right before. Uh, again, no pun intended with the religious stuff. Uh, <laughs> but he tried to, uh, a last ditch effort to try to subvert the plan to have her run for president where he was going to try to pitch her for Jacob's spot on the Supreme Court. And Dunbar was really seen interested in that. What's better, being on the Supreme Court or being a potential candidate for president? I think it's being a potential candidate for president. I mean, the the president is a higher position, but it's more, you know, it's kind of like you have a 30% chance of being president versus 100% chance of being on the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, you can get voted down, but it seemed like she was going to be a lock for the confirmation. Yeah, that seemed like that was 100%. But the Supreme Court seems like that's an easier job. And you can stay on that position for as long as you want yeah, or as like long as you're up there. That's a pretty cush gig, Supreme Court. It's really like no pressure on you. You know, you just really just vote however you want. You got to listen to things. You got to sit there. Um, but I think there's a lot of vacation time. And, you know, you just really just, you know, sit there and just listen to things. Um, and as uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg told us recently on Saturday Night Live, like it's, you know, every 80 year old's dream just to sit there and judge people. And you do it for your whole life. The uniform is is uniform. It's just one outfit every day. Yeah, so. you kind of let yourself go. Yeah, <laughs> those are pretty big. Whereas the presidency is just nonstop agita. Yeah. Yeah, you can give yourself an ulcer at the presidency. I mean, Supreme Court is just like, okay, just, you're just going to sit there and listen to cases. 
Yeah, I'm sure all the Supreme Court members listening to our podcast are just <laughs> up in arms right now. They're up in arms. They're very up. It's up. not that easy. It's not that easy. Uh, it's such a good job that Jacobs doesn't want to leave now. Yeah, he's uh, eating kale chips and he's he's doing well. Yeah, dabbling in the boiled peanuts. Uh, no, don't tell his wife though. Don't tell his wife. Yeah, and now all of a sudden that he doesn't want to leave. Yeah, and I mean I thought this was a great move by Frank until Jacobs said no. Uh, I was like, you know, way to hold on to that important card and kind of play your trump card or your immunity idol right when you needed it. Yeah. At least I thought, but yeah. But nope. then Frank uh, strong armed a little too too hard. Yeah. I mean, he he just he he took the half measure. He wasn't going to destroy him. And I, I don't know what else. He, you know, what what could he have done? Really leak leak the story to the press? Maybe. I mean, I think that's probably what he would have done to, you know. I mean, all he had to do was, you know, tell Seth to tell Isla or one of these other reporters, like the new Zoe Barnes, like, oh, hey, Chief Justice Jacobs has Alzheimer's and and he's, you know, doesn't even know what he, what he's doing up there anymore. And check this, check out this long pause that would have gone on YouTube and, you know, he would have had to step down. Yeah. And, and all of his rulings would have been called into question, too. Yeah. Yeah. And the legacy would have been would have been gone and he would have had to have appointed somebody. Now, again, it turns out that this was another situation where Dunbar and Jacobs were really like BFF. Like it's almost like uh, similar to uh, what happened in season, uh, I guess, basically in season one into season two, where uh, it was like Walker was secretly like BFF with Tusk uh, and Again, and Frank didn't know about it. And it's almost like I feel like this was similar where Dunbar was secretly BFF with Jacobs. And, and again, he gets burned by and he really didn't get burned the first time around. But this time he gets burned by, you know, underestimating how close Jacobs and Dunbar were. Yeah. And uh, it, it's also like Jackie Walker or Jackie Sharp. And um, I don't remember who the member of Congress was that she was really close with. But the old guy that she forced out at the uh, beginning of season two last year. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. Again, you know, everybody knows there. Everybody knows everybody, and then it creates problems on House of Cards. So, um, I love the scene with Dunbar and Frank in the Oval Office when you know after she gave her speech, then he brought her in, and she basically just like put all her cards on the table and just totally called him out. Yeah, um, I mean, I thought I thought that was a really really strong scene, and she says, "I'll see you in Iowa." Yeah. So. And so he says to her about how, you know, don't you want this job on the Supreme Court? And she's like, yeah, I did want that job. But then, you know, I heard from Jacobs that you threatened him. And then I realized, you know, just how despicable you are. And she really was not speaking to him with any sort of respect uh, that you would think that you would talk to uh, the president. And you know, he basically says, look, I was trying to save him. I was trying to save Jacobs, just like I'm trying to save you. And she basically says to him a line, which is probably like the most like appropriate and fitting descriptive line that we've heard about Frank Underwood in three seasons. She says, is this how you live with yourself by rationalizing the obscene into the palatable? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's definitely what he does. And, and I thought that was a really good way to to phrase what Frank does. Everything he does, he rationalizes to himself. Yes, he can do terrible things. He says, well, that was for the good of the nation that I had to do that. Uh, you know, that was for the, you know, the good of, of this or for the good of that. You know, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. probably if you asked him about like pushing Zoe Barnes in front of the train, like, well, I had to do that in order to uh, get myself into the position where I could best help our country. And if, you know, we have to lose a couple of, of civilians along the way, then so be it. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, I was thinking actually right after that moment, what is kind of Frank's overall end game? I mean, what, you know, is he working to make the country better? I mean, is he working just to be in power? Where, where does, where does the power stop for him? He, I think he told you in this season, he want, will not be a placeholder president. He wants to be uh, a president that leaves a legacy, not so much for the betterment of the country, but he wants the legacy because he wants to, you know, walk away from this and say, look, look what I did. Look what I was able to do as president. Not so much because it's like, hey, I help people, but he really wants to just sort of like have that be like an FDR type president. Yeah, he wants to have his name on the building or the monument or or the money. Yeah, I think he like wants to have his he wants to be like a Mount Rushmore, like face on the money type president. Oh, man, that would be a really good poster for season four. Frank's face on like a hundred dollar bill. Yeah, I think that would be good. Yeah. How's the card season four? Frank's face on the money. <laughs> show me the money. <laughs> show me the money. Although I'm not sure if we're going to be headed in that direction. I mean, it's hard to say this Dunbar thing looks pretty promising. Yeah. Well, what is Frank ultimately going to do? Is, uh, do you think that we're setting up is season four leading to a primary battle against uh, fighting off Dunbar? And then we may not even get to the election here. Uh, I think we're seeing I feel like we're going to see the primary this season. I mean, I, I don't know. I just can't see them teasing that out um, this early well, and not see. having it until next season. The primary Iowa tends to be what's that like? Typically like February uh, or is it January? Yeah. Is it January? Yeah, Iowa let's go with that. Uh, let's just look that up because yeah. it's already what it was May in the last episode. So you've got to figure this is probably sometime in June. Yeah, so, I think we're moving about a month ahead. Yeah. So uh, Iowa caucus uh, 2016, uh, you know, because you got to probably go there and be there for a while. Yeah, it's in January. It's in the beginning of January. Yeah, I, I sort of remember it from the uh, the 2008 one. Uh, I remember following that a lot closer than I did the 2012 one. But uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's good. That's happening this season. Yeah. I mean, is that the season finale? Boy. So it's episode four and it's June. So episode five, July six is August. Uh, seven is September. Uh, eight is October. Nine is November. 10 is uh, so yeah so I, I think we're gonna get through the caucus if we do one a month yeah so then we're what we're in we're in march of 2016 yeah about when that ends that's if sort you- of like a weird time for the political campaign because i feel like that the uh nomination is sort of gets iced in you know uh like sometime around like may june i mean uh again for me it's hard for me to really tell. I'm not sure when they did it in, in 2012. I remember sort of like the Hillary Obama thing went into like May, June of 2008. So I'm not sure exactly when, if it's like the, especially if it's like a close race, I feel like it can go into like, ah, the conventions around the corner. I don't know what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe we're, we might actually even be going faster than one, you know, cause we're, we're already in June and we're in episode four. Yeah. Uh, and we started at the end of last year. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where we're going to end up here, where the merry-go-round is going to stop, because I feel like um, I, I don't think we're going to get close enough all the way to the election, but you think we would get through sort of the caucus and it's sort of like we're going to end around the primary times. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Are we are we showing the the announcement of the candidate? 
you know, that he wins the primary or he loses the primary. And that's how our season ends. Does it end at like the Democratic National Convention? Yeah. Hmm. Like I can see, you know, Frank being announced up on stage or Frank watching on TV and he's not announced. Hmm. Okay. We'll see. That'll be a fun way to uh, to track what's going on uh, throughout the the rest of the season. Still nine episodes left to go here. Um, so what does Frank ultimately end up doing now? I mean, you know, I don't know what his move is with Dunbar. He seems pretty confident walking out when he looked at the camera and he said he had God's ear. So maybe he's got a plan. Hmm. Um, but <laughs> I don't know what his plan would be. Yeah, I don't know what the plan ultimately is. And we'll see if Dunbar is able to uh, pick up steam also. I mean, I think she's got the support of all the leadership. She seems like she's in a really good position right now. Now, do you think that potentially Mendoza is scared of Dunbar? And does Mendoza want to help prop up Frank? And he wants Frank to sort of beat back Dunbar because he thinks that Frank is easier to beat. I mean, that would be really interesting going across the aisle. And, and we now see these two people we thought that we were going to be combating each other and who potentially could be combating each other in the future working together. Yeah, because it's like, oh, everybody loves Dunbar. She's got such a clean record. Now we got to try to like dig something up on Dunbar uh, to make Frank look good. Or do they say, OK, oh, Frank, we got to help you pass uh, America Works because then that'll help you beat back Dunbar. So, I mean, not, you know, not to get too much into like a survivor reference, but it's like bringing the person you think you can beat at the end versus yeah, the person who's going to be right. you. <laughs> that's right. You got to take, take Frank to November because you can beat him in the final two. He's the goat. He's the goat. Now Dunbar is like, you, nobody can stop her. Yeah. Nobody can stop her. Um, what do we think is going to happen with Jacobs? It's not going to end well. And, yeah. and I mean, like not, not just like his health. I mean, his career is not going to end well. Do you think um, Frank goes through with outing Jacobs to everybody? Yeah. I mean, we saw a lot of stuff with Alia and, in uh, her press credentials, are we going to see him him leak it to her to kind of repair relationships with her? Mm, I'm not sure. This is a big story. All right. Speaking of Dunbar, let's talk about the other surprising revelation where Doug Stamper wants to switch sides. He wants to work with Dunbar. First question, is this on the level? Does, does Doug really want to work for Dunbar or... Does Doug see himself? Okay, I'll get in with Dunbar and then I'll be the mole and then I will, you know, take her down and then get myself back in good with Frank. Oh, man, you're on mole patrol at this one. Patrol. I think that's probably what we're looking at. I think it's just like with Rachel where where uh, Doug wants to work with Dunbar and then be like, hey, Frank, look what I have for you. I can help you. Mm hmm. He's he's too obsessed with Frank to just give up that easily. Yeah. I yeah you're right he you said in the last podcast that he has an obsessive personality and he has to know that this will make Frank happy if he can get in with Dunbar and then steal her contacts and whatever and like expose her secrets and then that could be a good way to get Doug back into the fault like that could be it but if I'm Dunbar I'm not letting Doug anywhere near my campaign I don't know Doug's got a lot of connections yeah but he can't be trusted I, I mean she doesn't know that yeah I mean, I don't. I think people think that Doug, that Doug is a really, you know, really hard worker, and um, I, I don't know if people know he's as shady as he is. Hmm. They don't know. I mean, if they knew about all the shady stuff he did, they would know about all the shady stuff that Frank does. Yeah, it's an interesting question as to what's going to happen, but I, I feel like that could be the in that Doug is looking for, and I feel like this would be a good way for Frank to be able to take down Dunbar. I really liked that scene where Doug called her. 
I mean, I wrote down that he was being really creepy, but I thought that it was it was really cool the way he was at the end of the hall and walks by, and then they start talking instead of on the phone, they talk in person, and then he just gets on the uh, gets on the elevator. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And um, boy, Doug is really gimpy. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of <laughs> like that, Doug. Yeah, I, I like that he's he's got the cane. Like I feel like I could see him just hitting somebody with it or, or going <laughs> going kind of crazy doing a doing a dance with it. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, with Doug, we also saw that Gavin is getting closer to finding Rachel. Now we saw in the beginning of the episode that Gavin almost got busted trying to look up uh, where Rachel was on a computer, and he luckily is able to do that. And then so he decides to then move in in person and do some detective work on his own. Yeah, exactly what I said about Gavin. I said, somebody's going to notice on their computer that you're using their screen. Yeah. And his, his coworker almost noticed because he used all his bandwidth. <laughs> yeah, well, your bandwidth is, is he ate up all the bandwidth. It's like the text I get from Verizon near the end of the month. I'm running out of my data. <laughs> is that what happens? Yeah, they send you a text and say, do you want to upgrade? But he didn't even have the option to upgrade his uh, data plan. Yeah. And so now Gavin goes out and goes to the church and ends up talking to Lisa. And I like that Gavin like got into character. Yeah, Gavin was great. Yeah. Gavin was so sneaky and, and awesome. Undercover Gavin. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Okay. So, and that was the, that was the fake out when I thought that I thought we were going to get Rachel. We saw the back of her head. Yeah. Like a coward. We saw the back of Lisa's head and it was Rachel or not Rachel. <laughs> it was not Rachel. It was not Rachel. You did not win the bet. And so uh, here's Lisa back in uh, the thick of things. Now, where's this going? Is this just sort of like, are we just following Gavin? Like as he's like going down the list of potential places that Rachel could be? Or do you think that Lisa is going to factor in? Oh, I think Lisa is going to factor in. I don't think they would, they would tease that out if that didn't end up being something important. So uh, I think we're going to be back at one of those meetings again, and, and we're going to see them get a little bit closer. You think that there could be a Gavin and Lisa love connection? Lavin? Lavin. Is Lavin happening? I don't think so. I'm not shipping that. Da, 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 da. I'm Lavin it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, but maybe that would that would be good. I think Gavin, you know, he seems like he's so buried in his computer screen all the time. He could probably use some love. Yeah, but does she go that way? I mean, I don't know. He seemed pretty interested when she said, uh, oh, no, it was a girlfriend. Hmm. And he gave kind of a he kind of raised his eyebrows at that. Oh, do you think that maybe Gavin doesn't want to leave the country anymore because he falls for Lisa and then he tells Doug he's out on the passport thing? And then... Gavin and Lisa and Doug and Rachel can go on a double date. <laughs> no, then Doug has to kill Lisa because she's distracting Gavin at the double date. He's he's going to like uh, bludgeon her with his cane like old Biff. Oh, man, that would, that would I would pay to see that happen. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hello, Lisa. Is anybody um, home? Is anybody home? Yeah. <laughs> and so Gavin was like, hey, you leave her alone. Oh, I, I, I want to see that. Let's see that happen. All right. And then, yeah, and then Doug will have no other choice than to just work for Dunbar. I mean, I guess that's not a bad backup plan. This whole thing is going to unravel. All right. So we'll see what ultimately happens with the Gavin and Lisa. Uh, let's also talk about what Claire Underwood was dealing with uh, out of the UN. Of course, uh, with the Russian ambassador to the UN, uh, he downvotes the proposal as expected. And, uh, you know, uh, Claire wants to subvert what's going on. And ultimately, the Russians strike back by kidnapping or arresting a activist. Uh, what is the activist's name? Uh, it is Michael Corrigan. 
Okay. And uh, no relation to Billy Corrigan? No, I think it's spelled differently. <laughs> so uh, why why would he go back to Russia? I was kind of confused on that. Uh, first, first of all, I thought the UN didn't pass because the Chinese member abstained from the vote. I thought that I thought they said that it was because one of the Security Council members didn't vote. That's why it didn't pass. Hmm. No, I thought it was because the Russian because one of the permanent members said no. Yeah, I mean that would make more sense. But I could have sworn that the uh, the head of the Security Committee said that was why. But yeah. I might be wrong. Uh, either way, uh, the Russians are playing hardball with Claire. Yeah. They're they're not they're not buying it and they're they're arresting Americans and, and detaining them. Yeah. And ultimately this ended up leading to a press conference that Frank Underwood was doing. And this is where Isla got into it with Frank Underwood. And uh, I thought Frank Underwood had to handle himself. Uh, he did a pretty good job. Uh, he got some laughs when he said that she had no manners. But uh, she tried to put him on the spot and said, uh, Mr. President, uh, I want to hear your position on uh, gay rights. Yeah. And interesting that it's gay rights with Frank Underwood. Yeah. And he said that uh, he believes gay people have rights. Yeah. Um, that's that's a uh, very big of him. You would think that in 2015, Frank Underwood would have, you know, statements on the record. Like you would think that this would have come up before. Yeah. And especially if he's not seeking reelection. Yeah. Kind of clues her in that. Wait, what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe like nobody has known because he was sort of like a uh, he was like a Congress person and then nobody was paying attention to his congressional campaigns. And then he went from Congress person to being vice president. And he never had to run. And then he went from being vice president to president. and He never had to run. So it's possible that people don't really know his views on these things, I guess. But it's I mean, that's it's a huge issue. And, and I feel like every everybody who's in government right now, you kind of know their uh, you kind of know their stance on it, you would think. Yeah. You, you know, would, their voting pattern or something. Yeah, you would think it'd be on his like Wikipedia page or something. Yeah. Or yeah. in the dark, the dark internet, maybe. <laughs> maybe you can find out from Gavin how does Frank <laughs> feel about gay rights issues. Uh, yeah. But he handled himself pretty well. But ultimately, um, he had to cut the press conference short because she kept going and going and going. And then we saw after the press conference that Seth has to take away her credentials. Do you think this gay rights issue comes up again for Frank? You know, we've seen in the past, we saw what was hinted at with his uh, former college buddies in season one. And then obviously the three trim last year. Uh, is this, is this a more of a subject for Frank than we're talking about? Boy, I just feel like there's so much going on. I can't imagine that we're going to really get into the big gay rights thing with Frank Underwood and, you know, unless, uh, you know, if somebody's going to come out and be like sort of like the gay Monica Lewinsky with Frank <laughs> and, it's, it's, and it's Meacham. And again, that would be a hanging Chad that is out there of something, you know, will somebody get to Meacham um, or, or the college buddy or the, or the college buddy? Yeah, again, all these things are possible, but I just feel like there's so much going on right now. There, there, I think there's a lot of storylines kind of all over. So, but hey, when you start uh, trying to spite God, uh, things are going to come up. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's not ideal. Uh, anything else from the episode before we get into some of the questions? Let's see. So one one line that I wrote down was that when Doug calls Dunbar, he says he's been out of the game for nine months. So again, nine months <laughs> pregnancy. Yeah, nine months it's been. And much like a pregnancy, you're out of the game for longer than nine months. But, but you know, nine months, 18 months, eggs. Yeah. We're, we're seeing this. I'm telling you, there's something there. 
I know we touched on this very briefly, but when Frank called up Claire and he wanted to talk to her about what's going on, she really like wouldn't even entertain like what he wanted to talk about with him. Yeah, I think we're really starting to see some some power struggle between the two of them because Claire is Claire really wants to further her career and and she's she's already in the UN and she wants to keep going. And um, that scene was interesting, too, because we saw them. Claire was in white. Frank was in black. And uh, while they're on the phone, Frank is playing chess with himself. Hmm. Yeah. Against himself. It was really, I don't know how you play chess against yourself. It seems difficult. But again, chess is a game with black pieces and white pieces. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And, you know, Claire, I feel like uh, even though we had our doubts about how she would do at this job, seems to be, you know, off to the races uh, as the UN ambassador, where Frank is really s- still struggling as the president. Yeah, I was impressed. Claire calls up, I, I'm assuming it was the French, and is speaking to them in French completely fluently. And then, uh, she's calling and, and checking out on Israel. I mean, she's really checking all of her boxes on the list. Now, did you think that there was anything to the fact that we saw Claire uh, making a deal with the French and in the previous episode that the toast that the that uh, Petrov gave was the translation was never trust the French? That's interesting. I, I was trying to remember what tie the French had because I knew there was something um, and that, that was the tie that I was trying to think of. So and it was the kind of thing where she was like, OK, just just uh, like, OK, go make sure promise me you're going with us uh, if Israel's in. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's got to be, you know, it's not a coincidence. I feel like there's a reason for that. So okay. maybe the French and the Russians are, are do not get along very well. Uh-oh. World War Three. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a cliffhanger that would be. Yeah. All right, let's get into our questions. Of course, if you want to get your questions in on any of these chapters coming up, you can send them in to House of Cards at Post Show Recaps. Uh, let's start with Jeffrey Hearn today, who says, is it just me or did the Alzheimer judge notice Frank talking to the audience? Uh, yeah, I actually noticed that and I wrote that down. I think he, I mean, he, he definitely said, what was that Frank? And, and we're seeing a lot more this season of Frank's, uh, breaking the fourth wall, kind of interacting with what's actually going on. Um, there was a scene a couple episodes ago where he was breaking the fourth wall and then his phone rings and he had to be interrupted from breaking the fourth wall to, to answer his phone. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if like we find out that at some point, like Frank Underwood just has like mental illness and (laughs) he actually like, he thinks he's breaking the fourth wall and like people can hear him the whole time. (laughs) Like he's like, uh, should I ruin this man's life? It's like, uh, I will not. And he's like, what, what, what's that? Are you saying? (laughs) (laughs) Whose life are you going to ruin? Oh, it's nothing. That's just your Alzheimer's acting up. Uh, that don't pay, pay no attention to what I'm saying right now. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised SNL hasn't done that as a skit. <laughs> What's that? A guy who's breaking the fourth wall and well, Frank Underwood specifically breaking the fourth wall, and people I are feel like, like, "That's got to have been been done in like, who are you talking to right now?" Um, <laughs> like, I feel like that we've seen that before. Um, but it, I mean, Petrov, you think would have said something when he said, I, "I should push him down the stairs right now and burn his body." Yeah, and I feel like. So- something happened when he said that that was like it was just interacting just a little bit with with what's actually happening in the show like, excuse me <laughs> excuse me <laughs> pardon me sir uh, mr president did you say you were gonna push me down the stairs and burn my body like no no that's a that's a figure of speech where i come from yeah it's a term of endearment yeah well i'll be well i'm glad i don't come from where you come from then mr president do you think there's any significance to the fact that uh justice jacobs was did seem like he's the first person to really acknowledge it. I mean, and he's he's has Alzheimer's. He's starting to you know lose his mind in the show. Is there any tie, or is it just 
Is it just a kind of a thing they did? What do you think? It's like a sixth sense thing where Frank Underwood has Alzheimer's. Like, no, like, like <laughs> he was, he was, he was sick the whole time. <laughs> and they can communicate through the fourth wall. <laughs> yes. And, and Jacobs is like the Haley Joel Osment of uh, House of Cards. <laughs> he shows him that when he, when he thought he was out to dinner with his wife, she was out to dinner by herself. And yeah. when he tried to grab the grab the knob. Yeah. Walker was still president the whole time. Yeah. He just he only sees what he wants to see. <laughs> wow. My mind is blown. All right. Uh, what else do you have from the mailbag? All right. From the mailbag, I have a question from Brenda Fitzpatrick who wrote in and said, do you feel the show jumped the shark or went too far with the ending of this episode? It at the same time felt cliched and also went out of its way to be completely out of bounds. And I'm not even a religious person. Yeah. You know, we probably should touch on this more at the beginning of the show. I mean, I do feel like the writers and the producers here did say like, what could we, what could we do that would be so shocking? People will, will talk about this. Like, Oh, what if Frank Underwood spits on Jesus Christ? Um, it did feel like it was, you know, sort of like controversial and scandalous for the sake of being controversial and scandalous. Yeah, but I just feel like if you're going to be controversial and scandalous for the sake of it, why not do that in the first episode? Hmm. Like with Zoe Barnes last year, there was the Zoe Barnes got killed in the first episode. Everybody's talking about the crazy moment in the first episode on the day House of Cards comes out. Yeah. This is already in the fourth episode. I mean. You know, it's kind of lost a little bit of steam by the fourth episode. Again, let's see where it goes. I don't think you needed to do that. I feel like you turn more people off to the show, unless we're just supposed to hate Frank Underwood. Um, I think you turn more people off uh, to this show with that than potentially people are like, oh, goody. Like, let's see where this is going. Like, I can't imagine that the payoff is, unless you just like want to make him so vile so despicable, so hated that really the, there's a reckoning coming for Frank Underwood here in like from here on out that you're going to say, good, I'm, I'm glad what happens to him happens because he's a, such a horrible monster. I mean, do you think Frank has a chance to be like the most horrible monster we've seen on a show? Hmm. I feel like we've done this power rankings before in our last season of the podcast. Yeah, you've probably, I'm sure you've done it from time to time. Yeah, but I do feel like there is some redeeming good quality to all of these other people that we follow, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of, you know, Walter White, Don Draper. He might um, be Tony the worst. He, Frank Underwood might be the worst because it's like all these other anti-heroes like have something go, going for them. I think it's like between him and Dexter, maybe. And I think even Dexter is probably a better guy than Frank Underwood. Yeah, I mean, Frank doesn't seem like he's, you know, doing much to, to humanize himself. Yeah, it's, I think it's really between, like, Frank and Tony Soprano. Yeah. We did see a little bit of humanity from Frank in the Mahmood scene. Yeah, but where, then he was, like, mad at himself for doing that. But, I mean, he really, you know, you could see he really paused. And then even when Mahmood was saying, I hope next time that you order a strike like this, you think twice before you order it and you think about the people who it's going to affect. And you could see he actually kind of was, even though he got mad at himself after you know, maybe he learns from this eventually. And after his downfall, this is how he he rises back up is from from finding the humanity in himself. All right. Okay. so, Zach, we have chapter 31 of House of Cards coming up next. The Piazza chapter. Oh, man. I'm excited for that. It's all it's all (laughs) happening. You know, it's so hard to predict what's going to happen from episode to episode because, you know, the last episode was really all about the Russian stuff. And then this episode, we really dropped most of what was happening with the Russians outside of the 
plot about Claire Underwood. So it's really hard to predict what's going to happen from week to week uh, or episode to episode on these uh, shows. Yeah, it's really it's really changing. And, you know, this this show, I want to just watch the next episode. I just want to see when this is over. I was like, all right, I want to see what the next you know, the next story that we're going to get into is. So it's it's hard to it's hard to not hit the the next chapter button. Yeah. OK. But uh, I'm, like, I, I'm liking it. I like where the season's going. I think there's a lot of potential for interesting stories. And, um, you know, they're they're really focused on on, on this 2016. And it's, it's a it's a ways away. So we know we got we got a lot to do to get yeah. there. It's so good. It's so fun to go through this because all these other shows we talk about, it's like got to wait week to week to week to week to week. And it's just like, oh, we get it as much as we want, as fast as we want it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I could I could talk with you forever about whether the Netflix model is better than the standard TV model. But uh, I don't really like that half the people I know have already finished the whole season and um, I can't talk to them about it at all because I'm so far behind still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do wish that there was a way to like be able to uh, have some sort of a blackout or, or whatever. But, you know, what we that, you know, that's a different podcast. Was it you that said three episodes a week would be ideal or was that somebody else? No, but I don't disagree with that. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay. All right. The great Zach Brooks. Follow Zach on Twitter at Brooks ZA. Um, you got a hashtag? Oh, man. I'm, okay. I'm never ready for these hashtags. I got to start. I, gotta start ready. I can read my handwriting today. How about uh, hashtag I'm laving it? Oh, laving it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laving it. I'm laving it. All right. Yes. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, let us know what you think in the comments on postjourrecaps.com again be respectful uh, we're, to everybody else if you've gone further ahead we're only talking about up through chapter 30 here on House of Cards and send us your emails about the upcoming chapters uh, four down nine to go chapter 31 is coming up next send in your emails in to House of Cards at Post Show Recaps. we'll see you next time take care everybody bye